0: So, Jesus, your cross reconciles us to you, and Lord, ask that you would help us know how we have been forgiven and be agents of your reconciliation in the world. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, we have been doing a sermon series on community, which really is a series about relationships. It's a series about how to have good relationships with our friends coworkers, spouses, children, all of that. And today I want to give you one of the key ingredients to having great relationships, and it's this, conflict. Conflict is essential for good relationships, which means right now some of you are thinking, "Sweet, then I've got great relationships because there's tons of conflict, right?" Now, just just like a movie that has no conflict is boring, relationships that have no conflict or avoid conflict don't grow. They go nowhere. But the good news is, fortunately, conflict is easily found, isn't it? Right? Like wherever two or more are gathered, there is conflict. And there's no such thing as a community without conflict. Because we've all got something wrong with us. We're all messed up. Someone told me a story about a church that was very formal and every Sunday the pastor would begin by saying to the congregation, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond, and also with you. And it was just this kind of thing they did almost on autopilot every Sunday. But one Sunday the PA system wasn't working, so the first thing the pastor said was, there's something wrong with this microphone, to which the congregation said, and also with you. (laughs) There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. And because of that, there's going to be conflict. And there's usually one of two responses people have to conflict, fight or flight. Now, some of you are fighters. You run to the conflict, you attack, you argue, you go on the offensive, you blame, and some of you are flighters. You avoid conflict. And what's interesting is, in my observation, often fighters get married to flighters, you know, just for the fun of it. In fact, in my own marriage, one of us is a fighter, the other is a flighter. Can you guess who is who? For instance, one of us might once have thrown a spoon at the other in an argument. I won't say who did that, but she's not here right now to preach because I'm the holier one. (laughs) Because that's sort of how we tend to think of it in the church, right? That if there's conflict, right, then the person who kind of avoids it is that's the holier person. Because Jesus is our model, and Jesus never stirred things up, right? Never conflict there. Wrong, right? He called the religious leaders a brood of vipers. That usually creates conflict when you do that. Try it someday um, with one of your friends, right? You viper. It usually creates conflict. In the the passage we just read, you may have noticed a little line there about God's vengeance. You may be wondering about that line. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the point is, the point of this passage is that when it comes to us, neither fight nor flight is helpful. Fighting creates enemies, flighting creates strangers. And both come out of our kind of primitive animal instincts, right, kind of the animal part of our brain. But you know what? We're human. We have have opposable thumbs and language and ESPN. We can do better than this. Now, some of you may think, well, why should I? Why bother to do conflict well? Because that's just a lot of work. What's in it for me? Well, a couple of things. First, Unresolved conflict wrecks us. It makes relationships awkward. You kind of have to avoid that person. Or the anger we carry around just eats us alive. You've heard me say this before, but holding a grudge is like taking poison hoping your enemy will die. Uh, it It just eats you alive. Plus, that toxicity leaks and it spreads to others and it can poison a whole group of people. So to be free of the anger and to do community well, we have to do conflict well. Second, we all want really good friendships, marriages, all of that. And conflict is the only way to have real closeness. Because when you work through it, you end up closer together. A bone that is broken and healed is stronger at the point of break than it was before it got broken. And it's the same with conflict if we work through it. And, and I told you, I told you a, a couple of weeks ago about a guy I once had to fire. And we worked through that and ended up being great friends. Third reason to do conflict well is forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. Kingdom of God can be kind of a a strange phrase. It simply means when up there comes down here. It's about great relationships and adventure and people having what they need to thrive. And if we want all of that, right, then forgiveness is what fuels it. The central moment of our faith is when Jesus dies on a cross to forgive our sins, right? Forgiveness is what is at the core. This is the ground we stand on. And if we want kingdom joy and kingdom adventure, if we want up there to come down here, forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. God's power is like an oxygen hose, and it brings life to dying people as long as we don't stand on the hose. An unresolved conflict is like standing on the hose fourth reason to do conflict well is few things have the potential to grow you as a person as conflict does if you navigate it correctly. A lot of research shows that one of the marks of a mature person is that they actually they run to conflict and they handle it very well. So if you avoid conflict, you're avoiding growth. Now I know this because I can sometimes be a conflict avoider. So let's say, for instance, I'll be at home, up in my study, writing a sermon. And downstairs, I'll hear my wife and one of my kids just kind of going at it. And so I just keep writing my sermon on things like how to do conflict well. Right? You understand this is merely a hypothetical illustration. It didn't happen. It, doesn't really, you know, like, it didn't happen this week or anything like that. Right? I'm up there going, I'm laboring in the Lord's vineyard. You know, leave me alone. But that blocks growth. But so does fighting. Neither fight nor flight is helpful. And one of the ways Jesus has grown me as a person is to help me do conflict better. And the Bible gives all kinds of great instruction on how to do this well that I want to look at. So think of someone you're mad at right now. Shouldn't be hard to do. They may be sitting next to you for all I know. Right? Maybe it's a neighbor, coworker, spouse, friend. Think of someone, there's a conflict. How do we handle that well? Because whatever it is, Jesus wants to bring his kingdom through it. So how does that happen? A couple things we need. First, we need Jesus, most important. Man, it is hard enough to do with Jesus, without him. I don't know how you get it done. We need Jesus, Jesus who helps us recognize our part in the conflict. But most importantly, Jesus who helps us feel forgiven for those things we've done that we feel shame over. And when we feel his forgiveness, it becomes easier to be agents of his reconciliation. We've got to have Jesus for this to work. Second, run to the conflict. Don't avoid it. Jesus says if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. In other words, don't avoid it, right? Or suppress it until you blow up. Just go to it. Now, Word here, you fighters, you fighters probably run to the conflict a little too quickly. Okay, so refer back to point number one, you fighters. First, you need Jesus. First, you got to pray about this. First, you got to get some time in prayer with him. But then go run to the conflict. And who do you run to? Right, Jesus says, just between the two of you. You go to the person you have conflict with. Now, this seems elementary, but it is important to point out because often, in fact, usually, the problem is between person A and person B, but person A skips right over person B and goes on to talk to person C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Right? And if Q wants to listen in, then that's awesome as well because we love to get other people on our side. Do you know what they said? Do you know what they did? Oh, really? Well, you must be sober because that makes us feel better, right? It fixes nothing. Nothing, right? So run to the conflict. Now, one caveat, don't go talking to people over every little tiny thing they do that bugs you, okay? Some things need to observe the FIDO principle. FIDO, forget it and drive on, okay? But if it's big, move toward it. Third, seek to understand your part, or their their point of view, not your part. Seek to understand their point of view. Um, You may not agree with it, you don't have to agree with it, but at least try to understand where they're coming from. So th- say things like, when you said that to me, it really hurt, but, but help me understand why you did that. Why? What's going on here? Because it's almost always more complicated than you think it is, isn't it? So for instance, if someone lies to you, you get mad, and you, what do you think? You say, well, they're a liar. But if you lie, what do you say? Well, there were extenuating circumstances, and it was really for the better, and my mother didn't love me, and, you know, it's all kinds of stuff. There are always complexities, and sometimes we make a mistake. I recently read about a pastor who wrote to three nationally known pastors to thank them. They'd influenced him to thank them and ask if 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 they would ever have time to talk. Two of them responded. One named Eugene Peterson. Some of you know who he is. He didn't ever respond. And this pastor thought, hmm, here Peterson talks about being an unhurried pastor and make time for people, but he doesn't have time for me. Well, uh, a few months later, this pastor was speaking at a conference and mentioned what had happened with Eugene Peterson. A woman was there who knew Peterson, heard that, and told Peterson about it. So Peterson contacted this pastor and said, I do remember your letter, but I lost the envelope so I didn't have your return address to write you back. And for the last six months, your letter has been on my desk, and every day I have prayed that I'd find some way to contact you so we could talk. See, it is almost always more complicated than we think it is. Not always. Sometimes the other person is just mean, but there's usually something else going on. Seek to understand their point of view. Fourth, honestly reconcile. And here's what I mean let me give you an example. You always live what you preach. So I'm preaching on conflict, so that's awesome. So, so last week I had this wonderful opportunity to experience honest reconciliation. When someone on staff uh, very, very honestly said to me, Scott, when you said this, you really hurt me. I've been working very hard. I think I've gotten a lot of really good things done. It doesn't feel like you've noticed. And when you said this, you really hurt me. And I said, you're right. And I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? That's honest reconciliation. She didn't yell. She didn't call me names. She just sought honest reconciliation. Now, if you're the one who has hurt someone, okay, if you're the one who has hurt someone, well, then honest reconciliation means that you've got to admit you're part of the conflict. And let's be clear, 99% of the time, you got some kind of dog in that hunt, okay? And it's a big dog, okay? Because a lot of times when I'm talking to folks in conflict, I'll ask the question, you know, what's your dog in the hunt? And the person will go into great deal, a great deal of detail about the Rottweiler that the other person brings, right? Meanwhile, they describe their little toy poodle. Okay, now you got some part in the conflict, so, you know, figure out what it is. Uh, and then seek honest reconciliation. And there are five steps toward honest reconciliation. So now we have some subpoints in the main points, so very confusing, but just follow the pastor, okay? Some sub points. What, what are the steps to honestly reconcile? Five steps. The first thing you say is, here's what I did to you. Here's what I did to hurt you. And say what you did. And don't pull your punches. Okay, don't minimize it. Right? I might have lost my temper. Oh, far out. Right? Or I'm sorry that when I said that you took it the wrong way and got hurt. I'm sorry you're so sensitive. Right? I mean, it, really. I mean, it's, it's got to be more like, man, I, I, here's what I did. I lashed out in anger that was aimed to demean you. Here's what I did to hurt you. Step two, here's how I think that made you feel. Step three, here's how I feel about having hurt you. I feel guilty. I feel sad that I devalued someone I cared about. Step three. Step four. This one's a doozy. Step four. Did I miss anything? And then let them fill in the blanks. Step five. Will you forgive me? Not I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're still in control. You're still in the driver's seat. Will you forgive me? Now you're vulnerable and you're open. And this is something as a pastor I get frustrated with because most of the time, as I've worked with friends or marriages in conflict, when the other person feels that you really understand how you've hurt them, most of the time they can just let it go. In couples counseling, when a spouse says these five things and really means them, you can feel the tension just fly out of the room. And most of the time the other person will say, and here's how I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? And boom, now the kingdom of God has come. When both sides do this, the kingdom of God arrives. But man, getting both sides to this point, that is so hard. So ask Jesus to show you your part of the conflict. You know what? He always answers that prayer. You know, can I win the lottery? Not so much. But show me my part in this conflict. Boom, you got an answer to prayer. Now, some things have gone on so long. The wounds are so deep. One conversation can't heal it. You need lots of them. You need a counselor. Right? But even then, you can get through it to a stronger friendship or a stronger marriage, not just a saved marriage. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, we got to save the marriage, as if the goal was to get to your 50th wedding anniversary and go, well, at least we didn't get divorced, babe. You know, like, that's, you know, that's not the goal. Jesus is not there wringing his hands going, ooh, I hope they don't get divorced. Right? The goal is a great marriage. And there are tons of people in this church who have gone through the hardest things in their marriage and come out with an awesome marriage on the other side. They may be sitting all around you. We need Jesus. Run to the conflict. Seek to understand. Honestly reconcile. Then fifth, bless the other person. Bless the other person. The scripture we read today says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Doesn't that sound fun? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, we can overcome conflict. But if we lash out and pay harm for harm, we have been overcome by the conflict. We've become part of the conflict, problem, and the conflict. So God says, bless those who hurt you. Now, this doesn't mean that we let people just hurt us over and over again, especially physically or extreme emotional abuse. We need to have the right boundaries. It's not loving to let other people keep hurting you. That's enabling their sin. It also doesn't mean that we ignore justice because a lot of times when someone hurts us we think a price needs to be paid and so it does. It's just that Jesus paid the price for their sin just like he paid the price for yours and mine. And that's what it means when it says leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay. And what that means is if punishment is needed to help that other person grow well then God is more than capable of handling that without your interference. Thank you very much. That is such a powerful tool that only God can wield it well. The tool he gives us is kindness. Bless them. Pray for them. Pray that good things happen to them. You know, pray blessing prayers. There's a country song that goes, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were growing great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher and he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating folks who've done wrong to you. You should pray for them. So I, honey, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls and hits you from a windowsill. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Man, that is poetry. That is just, it is so deep, so, such wisdom there, like in all country music. But but not what this text is getting at, right? Ask God to bless them. Make Make that person feel his joy. Make that person feel loved. It is hard to stay mad at someone you are trying to bless. Plus, it just releases spiritual power text says, when we bless our enemies, we heap burning coals on their head. And at first, it sounds like, well, what that means is we make them feel guilty and shameful, and that's just going to be so much fun. Yay, my revenge. But that doesn't fit the context, right? There are two possible meanings of this phrase. First, in Jesus' time, carrying burning coals was a sign of repentance. So the gist here is, if we bless those who hurt us, we, we help them change their ways. But there's another interpretation I actually like better. Because back in Jesus' day, there were no matches. So if a fire went out in your house, folks would go to a neighbor's house with clay pot and ask for some burning coals to reignite their own fire back home, and they'd carry them back to their house on pads on their heads, on top of their head. So in other words, when we bless those who hurt us, we reignite the fires of love in their heart. I just read a story about a small town in Texas where there was this one man, very outspoken atheist, who would always harass the churches. For instance, if, if one of them had a nativity set, even on their, on their property at Christmas time, he'd petition to have it taken down, all kinds of stuff. But then he ended up needing surgery for a detached retina, and he couldn't afford it. So a local church raised the money and paid for his surgery, even though he'd been harassing them. And this man said, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was in the Twilight Zone. These people were acting like Christians. It freaked me out. So now what he did, he went out and he bought this big old, instead of trying to get the nativity sets taken down, went out and bought this big old star for the church to put at the top of their nativity scene. Blessing breaks the bondage of anger and it releases spiritual power. Seek Jesus. Run to the conflict. Try to understand. Honestly reconcile. Bless the other person. And then the last thing you need is time. Because some of this stuff, you just need time. It can take time. And you can't hurry it sometimes. You can't rush it. Just give it the time. Someone sent me a story about a golfer and his wife who walked into a dentist's office and the golfer said, I got two friends in the car waiting to go play golf, we've got a tea time, so forget about the anesthetic, I don't have time for the gums to get numb, just pull the, pull the tooth. And the dentist thought, wow, that's really brave, this, you know, to have his tooth pulled without anesthetic. And so the dentist said, well, what tooth is it, sir? The guy turned to his wife and said, open your mouth, dear, and show him. We, oh, that was so funny at 9 o'clock. <laughs> We can't rush people like that. We can't push them. We can't rush reconciliation or healing. you just got to give it. Some of you are getting it just now. (laughs) We've got to give this thing some time. So give it time. And if you're not getting anywhere with the other person, you know what? If you've given it time and you're still not getting anywhere, then Jesus says this. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. Bring someone else into it. Not someone who agrees with you, an objective party. And then if that fails, sometimes... You may just have to walk away because some things are irretrievable. Now, for you fighters, you think the first time there's any little conflict, right, that it's irretrievable. I give up. You fighters, you think there's no horse so dead that you can't keep beating it, right? So that's why the text says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. It's very realistic. So be honest with yourself. Maybe get someone who's objective to be honest with you. Have I done everything I can And if the answer is an honest yes, then at some point you may need to just walk away. But even then, you can let the anger go and forgive them in your heart. There's a man I know in Rwanda whose whole family was killed in the genocide in 1994, and he spent some years in spiritual counseling to heal from that. And then one long weekend, he went away, locked himself in a hotel room, fasted the whole weekend, wrote the names of the perpetrators that had killed his family on on pieces of paper, and then prayed over each piece of paper until he felt the anger go. And then then he burned that piece of paper as a sign that he had let that situation go, that he'd forgiven. And he never felt anger again after that, even in the face of such a horrific crime. And I know some of you have been deeply wounded in the past. Let that story give you hope that you can find freedom from the anger. And then one last thing. Let's give each other permission to, and some grace when we blow it because conflict is hard to handle well, and we may mess up sometimes. We may say the wrong thing or say it in the wrong way. And if that happens, just say to the person, wow, you know, I want to come back to how you said that in a minute, but it sounds like you got some issues with me, so let me hear more about that. And then go back to how the person handled it later, and hopefully that person will say, yeah, that was harsh. Will you forgive me? We need to give each, other, give each other permission to do it poorly so we can learn together to do it well. I just read a story from a guy named Josh whose flight was delayed at O'Hare because of weather. And he said, I refused to let it bother me because I had my kids with him and I wanted to show them an example of patience, which was hard to do since he'd only had four hours of sleep. Well, because of the flight delay, he wouldn't, they, weren't, they wouldn't land until 11 a.m. and their connecting flight was at 11.02 so he said to his kids, you know, we're going to miss our connection. And, but the, the, the flight attendant overheard him say that. So she got on the PA system and told everyone on the plane the situation and said, so just stay seated for this when we land so this man and his kids can get through to their flight. But when the flight landed, guess what all the passengers did? They all got up, slowly put on their coats and got their baggage. And, you know, this, and so this guy said Josh was pretty ticked at the selfishness. Well, they were last off the plane, Got to, their, uh, got to their connecting flight right as the door was closing. And he said at that point, he lost it and just threw a big old man tantrum. He saw the ticket agent, he saw a ticket agent at the, at the desk, so he walked up and he said, excuse me, but the agent said, sorry, I can't help you right now, and hurried off. At which point, Josh boiled over like a pot of scalded milk and said, well, that's just great. Only he inserted a few other words, <laughs> interesting, colorful words. And the agent said, look, if you've missed your flight, go over there to the automated service counter and you can take care of it over there. To which Josh muttered some more interesting, colorful words. And at that point, looked down at his six-year-old son, who was looking at him, and he realized his son had never encountered a situation like that, and he had just shown him how to handle it, but not in a very good way. So... he he got a different flight, took them all of 90 seconds, they had time to grab some lunch, Josh had time to reflect. And he said, I knew I needed redemption and it had to be something my kids would remember not just to talk about how I handled it poorly. So he did something he normally didn't do. He found the ticket agent who he'd cussed at and he grabbed his son, walked over to the agent and said, uh, grabbed his kids, walked over to the agent and said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but about three hours ago I cussed at you and took my frustrations out on you and I shouldn't have done that and I gave a lousy example to my kids so will you forgive me?" and the agent looked stunned and didn't say anything for a long long time and then said, yeah, I I remember you and at the time I was trying to help locate a medical kit that a woman needed at the gate next door and I wanted to help you but I had to take care of that medical kit thing first so I'm sorry I couldn't help you but at which point Josh was like, oh great, now I feel really bad, right? (laughs) And the agent said, but I absolutely forgive you, and I understand the frustration, and thank you for your apology because in my job I get yelled at every day and no one has ever come back to say I'm sorry. So they shook hands and moved on, and as he walked away, Josh's son was smiling at him and he said, that's called doing the right thing. Five minutes later, the agent called him back to the desk because he'd noticed that Josh and his kids were in separate rows, so he'd rearranged their seats and put them all together in a different row that had more legroom. Now, I find that story very challenging because, as I said, you always live what you preach. So this Friday, my family and I were flying back from Orlando where we would had this awesome vacation. Our flight was delayed out of Orlando, and I I said, we're going to miss our flight. The the stewardess got on the PA and said, you know, everyone stay seated so people with connecting flights can get past. No one stayed seated. Everyone got up. You know, we got there. Our connecting flight had been delayed by five hours. We got home at 4 AM. I had one kid who was really sick, all very frustrating. But through the whole thing, I kept thinking, I cannot lose it in this airport, because I'm telling this story on Sunday. (laughs) So I got to be a good boy and I was mostly a good boy. After blowing it, Josh ran to the conflict, sought to understand. He admitted his part. He asked forgiveness, blessed that ticket agent with human sympathy that guy normally didn't get. And the result was his kids got a great lesson. Josh felt joy and freedom from the anger. The agent got blessed, and Josh got more leg room. That's called the kingdom of God. So where's a conflict in your life? And how could you engage it in a way that helps you grow and connects you to Jesus and makes your relationships stronger than they were before? Forgiveness is the fuel of the kingdom. And it sets the captives free. And the first person it frees is you. So Jesus, I confess I do this so badly. And I know many of us probably feel the same. So help us, Lord. You are the author of reconciliation. You're the one who makes it possible. Jesus, help us to feel your love, your forgiveness, so that we leak that instead of our anger. Help us to heal those relationships that are broken in a way that makes your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.